I'm grateful to be uh, leading you this morning into 1 Peter chapter 5, and that's where you can turn this morning. I want to start out by telling you that my wife isn't with me today. That's not because she's attending another church. She's not at the Church of the Holy Comforter either. She's not sleeping in. She's down in Texas with her job with Go to Israel uh, study guide tours, and back there with her old boss, uh, Tom Harrington, uh, and is heading back by train. Did you hear that? By train all the way from Texas uh, to here. Uh, a 26-hour journey uh, back starting uh, tomorrow morning. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing my wife after a weekend without her. Uh, But uh, that's where she is, all right? And uh, I'm going to pray specifically because Pastor Jeremy and I intentionally simplified this morning uh, so that maybe I don't know what's going to happen. We'll trust the Holy Spirit, and we'll trust the work of the watering of God's Word here but um, I think God wants to convince us of some things, and that is, is that, first of all, God really wants a well-shepherded flock at First Baptist Church, and he also wants great sheep that submit to the under-shepherds that belong to the great shepherd. Um, he wants us to understand here this morning that he will administrate all of the leadership, governance, and care of the sheep, of the flock of Jesus Christ, if we will permit him to do that in First Baptist Church. And Peter this morning is going to take us to a place where he starts talking about spiritual leadership and then undering ourselves or lowering ourselves in submission to that spiritual leadership in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's all going to still be in the same context of what he's been doing the entire time in 1 Peter 5, where he's been sharing about how do you follow Jesus during tough times? The people in Asia Minor are under suffering in some type of mild or serious persecution, both by the government and by the economy around them, by the pagans that uh, enforce certain uh, spiritism and spiritualism, and he's encouraging them. And sometimes when it's hard, even in the church of Jesus Christ, when life is hard, our hearts can harden. And we can start to accuse people and say, there's something wrong here, and we, we want to find out who it is that we can blame, and, and we want to insulate ourselves from that. So we don't want to step out and stick out anymore. We don't want to serve anymore because we don't want any, any trouble. And that happens in the church. The church, the sheep can get scared. The, the sheep can get annoyed. The sheep can get, get hungry. The she, sheep can decide to rebel against the, the shepherd of the flock. All those things happen in difficult times and in hard times. And Peter is going to say, look, whether in good times or bad times, this is how we shepherd and this is how we behave like sheep. And we're going to see that here this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we now embrace what you have to say to us through your holy word. We move aside, we literally crucify inside of us unwillingness to hear your word this morning, unwillingness to respond to your word. We pray for wholeheartedness and that your Holy Spirit would raise up inside of us great desire to receive your truth and then live your truth. God, we confess sin in our body. We give it up to you for places that we should not have been, God forgive us. For things that we should not have said, God forgive us. For our lack of prayer and lack of study of the word, God, this week put us in your word, we pray. God, build this flock this morning. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I once attended a conference, and uh, it, was a, it was a pretty cool conference, and, um, and uh, this guy got up, and he did this little one-man skit, and he basically represented the different people that would be there at that conference. And so he would turn around one time, and he would act like a puppy dog that was just eager to, to learn anything, 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 anything. Then he would turn back around, and he would pretend that he was that, that guy with the notebook that was taking constant notes and writing down every single word that was said. And then he would turn around like that guy that had the shotgun with both barrels loaded, just try and bless me. You just try it. You can't, you can't get through to me. All of us are coming from different places here this morning. But we're coming to a passage in the Scripture, coming to a passage in the Scripture where there's only one way to see it, both for the shepherds, for the elders, and for the flock. Peter is going to be specific, and he's going to give specific instructions here in this passage of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now, uh, normally we have, we stand for the reading of Scripture and all that, but we simplified this morning just so that we can take the time to move through these five verses both gently and fairly, okay? So we're going to get there here in a moment. So first I want to tell you a story, though. The elder team, they met to discuss the pastor's compensation package for the coming year. And after the meeting, the chair of the council told the pastor, we're very sorry, pastor, but we've decided that we are not going to give you a raise next year. But you must give me a raise, cried the pastor. I am but a poor preacher. And the chairman said, we know, we hear you every Sunday. <laughs> Elders make hard, hard decisions. Elders deliberate for the sake of the flock of Jesus Christ. Elders have to take what happened just two months ago an offer that came out of nowhere that was unsolicited and had to then constitutionally, prayerfully, and as good shepherds present that offer to this flock and then entrust spiritual authority to this flock to even vote on what we voted for last week concerning our property. Elders, when that stuff comes, they've got to meet. They've got to gather. When important things happen for First Baptist Church, elders have to be available, prayerful, and willing to talk about it. And this morning, we're going to talk about shepherding, and we're going to talk about flocks and about sheep and how God has instituted a very gospel-centered spiritual leadership structure in his church for the good of all the sheep, for the good of all the sheep. Elders, they spend long hours in prayer and in deliberation, and they've got to protect the flock by overseeing, teaching, overseeing doctrine, they got to figure out how to get all the sheep to get along. Not only get along, but to love each other and to dwell with each other. They've got to care for all. They can't, they can't play favorites at all. An elder can never do anything in the church that just pleases him, just pleases someone. He can only seek to please God as the stand-in shepherd for the entire flock. It's the only agenda that an, that an elder can have in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I mentioned my wife earlier is because I'm going to mention some wives here in a moment. But if you really wanted to hear a sermon that is just about elders, and you wanted to hear a good one, all you'd have to do is sit down with an elder's wife. That's all you'd have to do. You see, these women give up their husbands when ministry calls. These ladies 
are married to and dedicated to not only that man, but also that elder. Praying for him and all the stuff that he has to wade through. Elders have to deal with sins that you don't even hear about. Elders have to exhort people that you don't even know about. Elders have to make decisions that you didn't even have to talk about. And it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of attention, and it takes their giving their hearts into an entire flock. And these wives, they know what that's like because every other Tuesday night, they sacrifice their husbands. Sundays when we're called to prayer or to pray for someone or we have a crisis in the church, they give up their husbands again. Many times they send them with cookies and with brownies and stuff even to their meetings. They pray alongside their husbands even as they prepare their teachings for every single week. The elders of your church are lifers. They cannot have a grass might be greener somewhere else attitude. They are devoted to one flock and they stay with that flock. And these elders' wives, they sometimes they live in the background. Sometimes maybe the sheep don't even notice them and they hear the complaints of the sheep. They see the sheep wandering out loud how they could do better. They hear a lot of stuff. And they put up with a lot of stuff. So thank you, Sherry Nelson. Thank you, Sharon Vanderholst. Thank you, Sonny McIntyre. Thank you, Amber Smith. Thank you, Christy Vandenberg. Thank you, Don Cobb. Thank you, Heather Eccles. Thank you, Kathy Seaman. Thank you, Elaine Day. Thank you, Carrie Pepe. Thank you, Sue Nicholson. And thank you, Colleen Raymond. Because, because you have sacrificed for the sake of the flock. And you know what sacrifice looks like. All you have to do is look at your husband. Thank you. I commend you in the name of Christ. And when I say I commend you in the name of Christ, I mean I commend you in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's only the gospel that saves, serves, and protects souls. It's gospel-centered men that your husbands have been called to be, and that's a very high honor. The scripture teaches if a man seeks to be an elder, he seeks something very noble. But the scripture also says that that very same man will be held to a double accounting to God for his ministry here on this earth. That's what we're talking about when we begin to talk about elders. And Peter starts in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Peter, the elder. Do you see it there? Look down at your scripture. Peter, the elder. Now, that's a strange, it's a funny thing. Because that's not how he starts the letter. He starts the letter, Peter and, can anyone guess? An apostle. Peter, an apostle. But now here in chapter 5, he's going to co-relate to the elders that are hearing and reading his letter. He's going to say, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter is a 25 years later Peter from when he was Christ's disciple, when he journeyed with Jesus for those three and a half years, watched Jesus go to the cross, and then saw him after he climbed out of the grave. Peter has received the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, Peter, who was always chosen, has now truly been changed, and he's become the shepherd that God 
wanted him to be. Peter, who was a person that was impulsive, that was unbroken, that was undisciplined, that had a loose tongue. Peter is a very changed person when he says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is so united with the gospel of Jesus Christ that he sees himself as a partaker in the glorious revealing of Jesus when he returns. He sees all of his reward as coming later. And so we should talk about him and about his growth as a shepherd because that's what elders are. Elders are people who have grown in, in character, grown in witness, and grown in heart to become shepherds. Peter started out as this impulsive, overzealous, under-compassionate, unbroken, undisciplined, and quick-tongued man. And now he's going to say, I am a shepherd like you. What are some of the things that we remember about Peter? Uh, Peter wanted judgment to come quick. One time he said, why don't you just call down fire from heaven right now along with, his, along with other disciples to Jesus. Peter told Jesus, no, you can't go to the cross and, and, and do that because we want you to be our reigning Messiah. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And yet Peter also was the one who spoke up when Jesus asked the disciples after he had taught a very hard teaching about what it really meant to be his follower in John chapter 6. And he says, are you ready to leave me? And Peter says, no way, you have the words of life. But Peter is still learning, even in John chapter 13, in the last week that he gets to spend with Jesus as Jesus is going to go to the cross that weekend. In John chapter 13, where Jesus has robed himself with a towel around his waist, gotten to his knees and begun to wash the feet of his disciples, Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not doing that. Not to me, you're not. I'm not going to let my leader humble himself this way. And once again, we recognize that Peter doesn't get it. And we look at John chapter 13, verses 6 through 9 on the screen here. It says, he came to Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter, if you're going to be that gospel-centered guy that I'm, I'm going to recreate you to be, then you've got to let your Savior serve you this way. Verse 9, Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter says, if, I, if, if this is cutting me out off of the team, this is leaving me out, then this is what I want. And yet, impulsive Peter speaks up again in the very same chapter in John 13, verse 37, where he says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Can you uh, switch the screen, please? I will lay down my life for you in John 13, 37. We'll get there. 
Maybe it's locking up. It's all right. John 13, 37, Peter's saying, hey, you're not, you're not ready yet, but you will be. And, 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 but I'm going to a place that you cannot go. And Peter says, look, I, I, can, I can follow you now. I'll lay down my life for you. And yet, Peter will deny Christ three times at the moment of truth after Jesus is arrested. But Jesus is going to have compassion upon Peter. He's going to be gentle with Peter, and he's going to say um, to Pe- uh, it's going to be said to Peter by the angel after Jesus is resurrected in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, go tell the disciples and Peter. Do you see that? When the angel appears and says, hey, look, he is risen, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because Peter was a man who had shamed himself, who had embarrassed himself by rejecting Christ. Everybody had run and scattered, but, but specifically, Peter is mentioned here. Bob Deffenbaugh says in his article about the restoration of Peter that Jesus took personal interest in Peter's restoration, of which he had spoken earlier in, John, in Luke 22. And when the angel appeared to the women and came to the Lord's tomb, he specifically instructed them to tell Peter of the Savior's resurrection. Did Peter wonder if Jesus still even considered him a disciple? This is, this is where real life change begins. At that place where you're like, I've rejected God. I am unworthy. And Jesus says, no, I will make you worthy and I will restore you to my Father. Every elder that serves in this faith community in First Baptist Church in the church of Jesus Christ is a remade individual. And they've been remade by the gospel. And they've been especially remade by the gospel because not only have they been chosen, they've been changed by the gospel so much that they would identify, as Peter says in verse 1, with both the sufferings of Christ and the coming glory of Christ. Number one, they identify with the sufferings of Christ because Jesus was willing to serve all of us through unbelievable suffering, suffering even to death. And they identify with with that. Elders lay down their lives constantly for the sheep. They battle for the sheep. They give up time. They give up their money. They give up their resources for the sheep. They're willing to sacrifice and serve rather than to serve themselves. But also those elders are willing to have only one reward, a reward that is to come. Elders, nobody, nobody gives the elders a gift at the end of an elders meeting. They don't get to walk out with um, a free night stay at the Holiday Inn or a $50 gift card to Johnny Carino's or anything like that. They just do it to please God. That's it. They identify with the sufferings of Christ and with the glory that is to come. So, Peter was a witness of Christ's sufferings, right? But he also had a share in God's glory, a share in God's glory. As we understand how Peter became an elder, we can see how Jesus redeemed and shaped a man that would one day send us a message about being good shepherds right here in 1 Peter. How? Because that good shepherd had changed him in two ways, he says, because I've been a witness of Christ's sufferings, and I'm, going, I'm convinced I'm going to share in God's glory. 
That is the lifestyle attitude of a shepherd, of an elder Peter. Peter refers to the sufferings and the glory of Christ. The gospel of Jesus' unjust suffering is a gospel for him. And Jesus' victorious rise out of the grave is a permanent personal message to his soul that says, hey, later, we're all going to be rewarded. It's something very, very glorious. Now, I'm going to hark back to 1 Peter chapter 2 just for a second. We're going to put it on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Right at the center of this letter is where Peter spells out the gospel of Jesus Christ again. And so you're basically going to see an expansion of being a witness of the suffering of Christ and sharing in God's glory in these three verses. Take a look at what it says. It says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now remember, how did Peter react when they came up to arrest Jesus? He drew a sword and he cut off an ear. Peter is now speaking from a changed heart perspective. He's been transformed. He's a gospel-centered person. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. The Peter who once was is the Peter that is now preaching a different message through the gospel. It says, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, right? So, so Jesus even entrusted his life for a future reward. It says he bore in himself our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. What's that reward? What's that later? It's right there, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, that we might be changed individuals. Not only that, it says, by his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. That other glorious thing is, is that we belong to God. We belong to the Father. Delivered from sin, delivered from death, now able to live the life that God always wanted for us and returned to our heavenly Father. Right there in the middle of the letter, Peter really spells out the suffering and the glory that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I got to coach my sons in, so, in soccer and in baseball all the way through their elementary ages, basically until they got into middle school. And then, um, you know, you're not allowed to, allowed to coach. It has to be a teacher or, or whoever. And so I, I did that. And at the end of every season of soccer or baseball, we would have a big banquet. We would meet at a pizza restaurant or some other place where we could gather in a back room. And I would give out individual awards to all the players. And that took a while. It took like, you know, if you only take just two minutes a player, that takes 25 or 30 minutes to just especially address them. And I would always get these special uh, 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 kind of certificate-like pieces of paper and type in special names like um, the ultimate destroyer and the guardian of the goal and all of these different things. And then I would say the reason why we gave this special certificate to this player is because this is how he displayed this out there on the field of play. In other words, we said at the end of the season, here's reward for your effort. Here's reward 
for what you did, even, even, even as a five-year-old, even while you were out there picking your nose and, and, uh, and sliding all over the place and dancing around and never being in position and ignoring the ball when it came near you and stuff like that, here are some of the things that you did and we want to reward you for because I wanted every one of those players that came under my tutelage, even if it was for just the fall or just for the spring or for the summer, to know that they were very important to me and that I had left something with them and I had I, coached them. I had led them. And Peter is a changed man. He's talking about a certificate that he is going to get. What are elders? I'll tell you what elders are. They're called men of God who have been so soulfully changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they are able to have God's shepherd heart for the flock of God. All right, did you hear that? They are so changed soulfully by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they are able to have God's shepherd heart for the flock of God. Because in a moment, when you read the instructions that Peter gives to elders, your first reaction, if you just react in your flesh and you don't, you don't have the help of God's spirit working, working with you to interpret what, what the scripture says is, your first reaction is, thank goodness it's not me. Be your first reaction to what you're going to see in the scripture here. It would be because it's hard, this challenge. You can only have one agenda. You can only have one mission. You can only have one manner in which you do all of this. You say, man, we're never going to get another elder in the church. And I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, oh, yes, we will. God will raise up more elders in this church. And as this church journeys toward the, the coming appearing of our Lord Jesus, whether that's tomorrow, five or 10 or 50 years from now, God will raise them up. And I'll tell you why, because the gospel will change men. The gospel will change men. And it will actually conform their hearts to this incredible privilege and honored position of being an elder. Elders are people that have been soulfully changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are able to have God's shepherd heart for the flock of God. They are not people that win a popularity contest. They are not the wealthiest people in the church or the poorest people in the church. They're not uh, uh, skilled with certain abilities. They're not all engineers or mathematicians or school teachers. None of that. It's the condition of their heart that has to meet a criteria set forth in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy and Titus for them to have the ability to shepherd the flock of God. They're also men that have been so formed by the gospel that they're able to be models of the gospel to the flock of Jesus Christ. You're going to see that here in a second. Just as Jesus did Elders can suffer, they can sacrifice, not serving for their own glory, not serving for immediate reward, but for a glory that is to be revealed one day. Elders are uniquely devoted to God's church. I tried very hard to get into the army. I tried very hard. I, I got on the first, uh, ranger team at school. I became a first team ranger. I, I earned some uh, awards. If you want to go and look, I've still got a couple of them in my office. And I've got my, my badges, my expert marksmanship medal. And uh, you can see that um, I've got my ranger beret in there and some other things and stuff like that. But still, when they sent me down to Fort Meade for my physical waiver on my shoulder, 
Uh, the doctor looked at the x-rays and turned to me and said, son, the military's not going to pay your medical bills for the next 20 years. And he signed a couple of, of papers and he handed them to my lieutenant colonel and we drove back to Gettysburg and my military career was over before it started. Just like that. I tried really hard to be a brother in arms. But I want to tell you something. I have soldiered. I have soldiered for 10 years with the elders of this church and we have fought for this flock together. I will not ever forget Tom Dudenhofer. I won't ever forget Bill Engel. I won't forget you, Mitch Vanderholst, who just retired from, I can't, it must have been 15 or 20 years of serving as an elder. I will never forget soldiering with these men because we have fought hard battles for the purity of the church, to preserve sound doctrine, for the care of the sheep. Do you realize that right now, we have an elder at home resting after having a stroke this week after he just preached last Sunday? And Jay Raymond, do you realize that we have an elder and his wife who bid farewell to their son who is in heaven now just last summer, just this, not this summer, but the summer past? We've got an elder that even suffered a kidney stone this week. I won't tell you who he is, but he's the only elder that I know that has a radio antenna standing in his front yard. These are real people. These are real people that have real lives. And they give up a ton of time and energy and effort. And why do they give it up? They can only do it for one reason, for the gospel's sake. Because God administrates the working of his gospel in the church by appointing elders like these men. And I'm proud to say that I've soldiered with them for 10 years together. And so when we really think as we head past verse 1 into verses 2, 3, and 4, when we really think and we consider the provision for well-shepherded souls in the church, what we realize is that we need trusting souls. Yes, we need to trust the, the great chief shepherd in the way that he administrates spiritual leadership in the church, but we also need good shepherds. If you walk away today doing something for Jesus, walk away praying for your elders. Because here's the thing that's absolutely critical for every elder is that they have a vital, growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that the gospel continues to change them and center them and shape the way that they do ministry. That's what we need. And so now let's finally take a look at what Peter says about challenging elders to shepherd well in verses 2 through 4. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Sounds pretty tough, amen? Yeah. So let's look at the mission, first of all, in verse 2 shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The mission is to shepherd the flock, a servant leader, a patient leader, being among the flock, hearing the flock, listening to the flock, responding to the flock, being close to the flock. We only saw one time live shepherds with live sheep in Israel when Heather and I were there. And we were traveling up from Beersheba 
in the, the southern region of Israel, uh, just above, well, really still touching the Negev, and heading out of wilderness and into uh, safer shepherding territories where there was more fruitful land. But still, a shepherd, and here's the thing, a shepherd does not push the flock, not, not an Israeli shepherd, not a Bedouin. He doesn't push the flock from behind. He leads from the front because he's been with those sheep so much. They know his gait, they know his smell, they know his voice. And so he always leads them into safe pasture. And here's the other thing that's amazing about those shepherds is those shepherds know when change is most healthy for the sheep. They know. Shepherds cannot, because of the rainy season and the dry season, shepherds cannot just lead sheep out to the same field every day. Or if they do, in less than six months, all those sheep will be dead. They have to literally have the trust of the sheep so great that sheep are willing to go to new places and to change and to go to new pastures with them so that they will remain healthy. And elders have the difficult responsibility of making change for good, deciding about change for good in the body of Christ in First Baptist Church, leading us to new, safer, and, and good pasture, because this pasture is drying out, but we need to head here. Not changing the substance of who we are as gospel-centered people. Not changing who we are as a church and the way we, why we were created, but changing forms so that we can remain healthy or even get healthier together. That's what the shepherd was doing as we passed by on the bus and we slowed down on a narrow highway. He was up on this ridge looking down on his flock, and there was everyone. And here's the amazing thing about a shepherd is that at any moment, wherever the shepherd is located, he has got to be willing to go to the furthermost sheep to rescue that sheep, to bring that sheep back into the flock. He's got to constantly be among so well that the sheep know him very well and trust him, but he's also got to be over so that he always knows when to step in and rescue. God knew what he was doing when he called Jesus our good shepherd and when he called elders shepherds of the flock exercising oversight. Jeremy Wren in his Nine Marks book on church elders says it this way, just as literal shepherds live among their flocks and know their sheep, and just as Jesus immersed himself in relationships with his disciples, so elders share their lives with church members. They see people as their ministry. People are their ministry. So they have a God's eye view of the entire flock as overseers, but they are also among the sheep as well. And their decisions always have to regard the health of the entire body. When they're looking from that ridge down on all of their sheep, they've got to decide what's best next for all of those sheep. They can't be persuaded by one sheep or another. They've always got to consider the entire body. That's the mission, to shepherd the flock of God. The motive is this, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, willingly. That means without an agenda, that the only agenda that an elder can have is the good of the flock. It can't be to please me. It can't be to please you, but it can only be to please God as you care for the flock. Sheep aren't, don't, don't make all decisions for themselves. Shepherds make some of the decisions. Sheep decide where they're gonna, what they're going to chew or where they're going to drink next or who they're going to hang out with next, 
But shepherds make some of the decisions there to please God. J. Vernon McGee, in his commentary, said this, Elders are to minister for the right reason in the right spirit, not because they must do it, because they freely choose to do so. I see you there, Mark. I see you there, Bill. I see you there, Ron. I see you, Pastor Tom. I see you, Pastor Cameron. I see Pastor Jeremy over there. Elders among the flock right now, would you say again in your hearts, I choose this. I choose this. I choose to lead and shepherd well. I choose the sacrifices. I choose the suffering. I choose the fact that only reward I get will come at the appearing of our Savior. Choose. That's the motive. There are some unenviable jobs in the church today, and you may think that being an elder is at the top of that list, but they count it as an honor to serve the gospel by shepherding sheep. These elders with me have had to create doctrinal statements on marriage and sexuality to preserve the truth of Scripture, even while an outside culture screamed at us. They had to come up with media statements. Who wants to come up with media statements and things like that? One unified voice speaking as one man, not as individuals ever, so that we could clarify our membership, we could maintain doctrinal purity in the church. Let me just share only just one deliberation with you that's kind of humorous, but still... One deliberation that elders had to do for the sake of the entire flock, all right? We are four months away, I know, I know, we are four months away from roof lanches, all right? You know what roof lanches are? It's when, because elders made a good decision to invest while God blessed us with a lot, a lot of extra funds to put these steel shingles onto the roof of our church, and we trusted God for that money, costs us over $50,000 to do that and to do the, the carport over there. The first couple of years, those shingles are very slick, and snow just slides down. And you've been in a worship service, maybe, where a roof lanch occurs, and it thunders from heaven, does it not? It does. And so we had to have a roof lanch policy. As elders, we literally had to meet and deliberate on what were we going to do if a roof lanch ever occurred when someone was anywhere outside in any of the walkways of the building, all right? And we figured out that, that, that the sidewalk over there past the, the breezeway, the sidewalk was very close to the roof, and we had to actually measure. We literally went and measured. We went to another church and asked them what they did about it. We did all these deliberations to figure out whether or not if there was a big six, seven, eight, ten inches of snow that would all come down at once from that gym roof, whether it would come into the sidewalk and gobble one of you up as you were walking into church. We talked about putting these knobs up on the roof that would hold the snow until it would melt off instead of sliding off. We bought stanchions and we put them around the, you can't walk that, that sidewalk from, from December all the way through March because we're protecting you. That's a conversation and that's a deliberation you didn't want to have, right? You're glad somebody else did. That's just one thing that your shepherds do for you. That's the motive, to shepherd the flock of God. And what's the manner, it says, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's for future reward, not immediate gain. 
Peter has said multiple times, suffering is temporary, but glory is eternal. And if suffering is temporary and glory is eternal, then elders should behave in a way as to be examples to the flock of that very thing. I'm willing to give up now and receive reward later. And they do that. But we elders, we cannot dominate. We cannot domineer. We cannot rule over. We cannot make, do you know that? We can't make you sheep do anything. We can't make you do anything. Pastor Jeremy stands up here one morning and says, all right, everybody worship. And you can all say, no, we're all going to play Candy Crush. We can't make you do anything. We can only be an example and motivate by the example. But what a powerful example, the gospel of sharing in Christ's sufferings and sharing in the power of his glory. Our dog, Bobo, um, he has figured something out. He's eight months old, and he's figured something out. He's figured out that the reason why we take him for walks during the day and night is to empty him out, okay, to get rid of stuff. And so he has realized now that he can extend the walk as long as he holds it in. And so now he has taken walks for 10, 12, 15 minutes before he has ever released any of the goods. He holds and he holds and he holds because he likes the walk and he wants to continue to do the walk. And sometimes I feel like just reaching down to him and just squeezing him a little bit, little bit just, to, just to get it started. And elders can't do that. You're here because you want to be here. You're here because you're sheep that belong to the great shepherd and because you've trusted in the gospel and you're responding to God only as it's modeled, it's te- taught, and it's preached to you. That's it. Elders cannot rule over, but they can only be an example. And Peter says, and then that chief shepherd, that overseer of our souls, will appear, and you'll receive that unfading crown. Peter's entire le- letter has focused upon the coming glorious appearing of Jesus, knowing that he brings for all of his flocks, for all of his flock, reward. And for those that have endured hardship unjustly and have welcomed the chance to serve him in suffering, reward is coming. And now take a look at verse 5. How should an entire flock dress? How should we dress ourselves? Literally, he says in verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves. The image there is actually tying a knot of an apron around yourself. It could be that Peter was even imagining what Jesus did in John chapter 13 when he tied a knot of a towel around himself and robed himself in order to serve by washing their feet. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There is submission and humility that we are called to clothe ourselves with. We submit to the authority of what God institutes. The reason why we submit is because God administrates the church this way. He says, this is the way I want it to happen. So submit to the way that I want it to happen. Elders don't make sheep submit. Sheep submit because God appoints elders and changes them so that they can be trusted and they can be followed by their example. In the word humility there, it means to lower oneself. 
And unity and peace in the church is achieved when my brother really believes that I want the best for him, and therefore he can also reduce his agenda. And we can all have the gospel of Jesus Christ reduce our agenda to just pleasing God in the church. And by the way, elders, you're also a part of the flock in that last verse. You're part of the flock. You are called to humility. It says all of you. You're called to humility. But let us recognize that, that elders have lives. Elders have families. They have needs too. So let's lower ourselves to them. And let's support them when, when, when God calls us to. So let's trust our souls to the great shepherd. Well-shepherded souls are the result of the gospel of Jesus Christ operating gloriously as God has instituted it in the church. So let's clothe ourselves with submission. Let's clothe ourselves with humility. And let's honor God's plan for a healthy church. And this is J. Hampton Keithley. I have to give him credit for this. But in a healthy church, elders shepherd the flock well through service and sacrifice. And the whole flock submits to Jesus through mutual humility. Has, Jesus, has Peter given you a clear vision of the shepherding of the flock of Jesus Christ here in this passage? Remember, when things get hard, hearts can harden. But Peter calls us all to soften ourselves and to lower ourselves in mutual humility each to the other. And you say to yourself, all right, I heard your prayer at the beginning of this message. I want to respond correctly. I want to respond to this message correctly. I want to do something for the Lord. All right, great. How can I contribute to a healthy church? Well, first of all, I can be a well-shepherded soul. Have a vital relationship with Jesus. Elders presented to you on July the 22nd, and we will again on the 9th of September, that we have three goals for the fall going into the new year, and that is for everyone to be in the Word of God, for everyone to be connected and doing life together, and for all of us to be seeking God's face in prayer and worship, saying, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? So that we all come together as one church. Be a well-shepherded soul. Have a vital relationship with Jesus. Be great sheep. Be great sheep. Be fantastic sheep. Listen, let me tell you about a fantastic sheep, all right? My daughter is serving in the nursery right now, all right? And the reason why she's serving in the nursery is because we had, there were a couple of cancellations, and Marcy and Diana Overcamp can always rely upon her to be really great with those kids in the nursery. She sends me a text message while I'm studying and praying in my office this morning that says, Dad, turns out I'm working in the nursery first hour, but I'll be listening to you on the speaker in the room. And Cricket, if you're listening right now, you're a great sheep. You're a fantastic sheep. She has to get preached to three or four times a week, folks. In our house, as I'm studying the Word and, and we're doing devotions as a family, and she's willing still to come under her dad as her shepherd. Cricket, you're a great sheep. I love you. And so that's what I said. I wrote her back and I said, oh, I just love you. And then she has to top it. I love you more. Be a great sheep. And put on the apron of servanthood. We have needs in the church. 
Elders are making decisive, hard changes. We're introducing small group uh, ministry through group link. That's going to affect a lot of things. But they made the decision for good, convinced that God is calling our church into deeper community life. Put on the apron of servanthood and embrace those three girl, words, those, those goals in the word, in life together, seeking God in prayer and worship. I was going to say, how amazing would it be if I had sheep that walked up to me saying, Pastor, man, I submit to these goals that God has impressed upon the hearts of elders. How can I help? I was going to say that this morning, but I got stopped in the parking lot a little bit before nine o'clock as I was returning from Dollar General. And this lady comes up to me, she says, Pastor, I just heard, heard a message telling me that I needed to submit to the spiritual leadership of my church. So, Pastor, what can I do for you? Before I even got in the pulpit, somebody came up to me and said that. Put on the apron of servanthood. How can we be good shepherds and great sheep together for the glory of God? By being wholly changed by the, the gospel that changed Peter. Being changed people. That's what we can do. Shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ. Giving oversight. Not lording it over. But being willing being examples to the flock. Wow, what a great picture that Peter gives us here this morning. Come on, let's pray together and let God finish this work in us. Father, now we humble ourselves before you and we lower ourselves to the gospel and we receive this teaching, a hard teaching. Father, there isn't a single person in this room or listening on this podcast that likes everything that goes on in their church. We wish we had more of this and less of that and more of this and less, less of that. And yet, Father, today, Father, we humble ourselves and lower ourselves to the gospel. And we pray for great shepherds and we pray for great sheep. We pray for two weeks from now when we gather together and we try to do community by having a, a huge luncheon and, and hosting all of these classes together that the church would embrace that. We pray for service and children's ministry and nursery and for big life and all the things that, that, that function on Wednesday nights and for the uh, men's groups and women's groups and small groups. And God, raise all of those people up. Just simply, Father, win hearts to yourself under the great shepherding leadership of our chief shepherd, Jesus. Be glorified in your church, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank you. That's kind of like a your pastor's heart message, you know, for the year. And I appreciate uh, the time that you gave to this very important uh, message, right? So we do have our uh, adult life classes meeting today with youth and children's ministry. I want you to let you know that new community classes meeting specifically today as one large group to share about our vision for our future as a class. Um, and the format of that, if you want to go and try that out down in the gym, that's a special meeting that we're having this morning. Next Sunday, we gather at 10 a.m., and Pastor Cameron will finish out First Peter with us. We hope you have a wonderful Labor Day weekend um, and that your worship continues as you leave here this morning. And now may, now may the great chief shepherd and overseer of your soul have all of you this week. May you get in the word. May you do life together with, with the sheep. And may you seek God's face in prayer and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.